Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford. Today, I am so excited to introduce you all to Edie Perkins. She is the executive director at the Kelly Brush Foundation. And oh my gosh, this foundation is doing some amazing work for athletes or actually anyone who has a spinal cord injury. And, you know, the the goal here is to get them active again. And the range of topics that Edie and I got into on today's conversation are, it's just honestly, it's some mind-blowing work that's being done by the Kelly Brush Foundation. We talk about, you know, all things working for foundations and nonprofits. So if that's something you're thinking about, whether it's you want to start your own nonprofit or you are thinking about wanting to work with one, we talk about kind of all of that. But then also for the the coaches and the people who work directly with athletes, I think towards the end of this conversation, we shift gears a little bit and we start talking about how to start working with adaptive athletes. And I think this is so interesting because I think uh, a lot of us as fitness professionals are almost unsure of how to you know, add options for adaptive athletes or open up our, our coaching or whatever we're doing towards adaptive athletes. But oh my gosh. Like if there's if there's a category that you know should have all of the same opportunities that you know all all the athletes you are speaking to have, it's adaptive athletes. So I think this is just such a fun conversation and such an inspiring one. And also we do talk about the Active Project, which is part of the Kelly Brush Foundation. And I'm just going to encourage everyone to definitely check out the website and if you can sign up because even if you are not an adaptive athlete, maybe you can go for a ride with one in your area. And that can be so, so helpful and, you know, really open up a lot of doors for them. So definitely check that out. Consider signing up. All right. With that said, let's get into this amazing conversation with Edie Perkins. And again, Edie, if you're listening, congrats on an amazing Boston Marathon finish. Holy moly. Okay. Edie, I am so excited to get to chat with you today. And Oh my gosh, we have so many things that I want to talk to you about, but we have to start with just the obvious. How was the Boston Marathon? Oh, well, I'm so excited to be here talking to you. And um, Boston was amazing. I I love doing marathons and um, I went into this one feeling like I was really out of shape and it was just going to be my inaugural outdoor ride for the, you know, before the summer starts up here in Burlington, Vermont. Um, but I felt great. And I got about halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sure I went out too hard and it's going to hurt on the hills. But something about the cheering crowds and just the open road and being in a race, I was mm-hmm. able to push myself and came in second in the hands division for women. So it's a small field, but still I was happy. Well, I hear it's also small because it's actually quite hard to qualify for. So when you say you're like not in super marathon shape, I'm pretty sure you're still in a pretty good shape here. Um, Well, I was really happy. I mean, I ended up being just one minute slower than the last time I did it. And I thought I was in better shape then. So I was happy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's Amazing. And I mean, is the crowd everything that it seems to be like on, you know, I've never actually been to Boston for the marathon, but I've, you know, obviously seen social media and all that stuff. And it seems like it's just like this next level. Is it actually that amazing? It's totally that amazing. Um, From the very start all the way to the end. And it just gets louder and louder as you get to those final miles. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts and 
it's such a part of the culture. Everyone watches the Boston Marathon. It's a big day. Um, and so you have you have everything from families to college students to, you know, just depending on what part of the course you're at, it, but there's always someone there cheering you, which mm-hmm. really oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like new, new Englanders are just like next level with their like dedication to whatever athletic situation is happening at any yeah. given time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now we have to obviously back up and introduce you a little bit, but obviously we had to get Boston out of the way first since that <laughs> just happened and it's such a big deal, but let's give a little bit of context for our listeners, how you ended up using the hand cycle in the adaptive category at the Boston marathon. What led you here? All right. Well, um, I, I was an avid runner and cyclist. I was very competitive about both. I raced in, um, marathons and other distances for years and even came in 25th in the Boston marathon as a runner one year. Um, and and then I, got into, I got into cycling due to some running injuries and started competing in that. And, um, anyway, I was just way into running and biking and, um, lived in LA a few years ago. I moved out there in 2016. And one of the things I loved so much about being out there was the cycling. You have access to just the most amazing mountains and the coast and, it's so beautiful. Um, so one day I was just out on a typical morning ride and probably 10 minutes into it, going down a hill through an intersection and somebody coming in the opposite direction at speed made a left-hand turn and just T-boned me and drove straight into me. So I broke my neck and my back and became paralyzed from the chest down. Oh so, my God. That's how I landed in the hand cycle years later. Now, yeah. What was the journey to getting on the hand cycle? Because I imagine it wasn't just next day you're no. like, okay, we're back in business. No, it was, you know, the road from from injury to independence is a long one. And uh, especially, it's also a time warp. I spent four months in rehab and that feels like an entire childhood. You know, you are learning how to do everything from just being able to sit up since I have, I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I have no abs. So I'm like a noodle and just learning to sit up in bed without having my hands on the bed was, you know, weeks in the making. And then you have to relearn everything, how to Mm -hmm. navigate the world from a wheelchair and transfer from that to other surfaces. And it's a long, it's a long process. I was fortunate because I, I knew I wanted to be active again. And I knew I had seen people in hand cycles and race wheelchairs and all the marathons that I run had run. So I had that mental model of what was possible so many other people don't. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I feel really lucky about that. And I, it was kind of my athlete mentality of, okay, I have to have little goals. And so I, once I got out of rehab, I was like, I'm going to learn how to ride a hand cycle and I'm going to do this race. And I found a race that I wanted to do. And that became my 
my focus. And um, I was really lucky to have that. So it was, I think nine months later, I did a half marathon. Oh, wow. And I mean, I think that's where, you know, we're going to talk about obviously your, your position now at the Kelly Brush Foundation, but I noticed that, you know, in a lot of the literature around that, it talks about funding education and connections. And I think it's really that education and connection piece that, you know, often gets missed when we are talking about this, you know, adapt, active, adaptive, anything like we really miss the education piece where a lot of people wouldn't even really necessarily know what steps they'd even take to be doing that and just kind of automatically assume like, okay, I'm not going to run a marathon again. So like, okay, you're not going to run it the way you did, but there are, you know, still options. Totally. Um, It's actually, it's funny. So I just came from Sea Otter out in California, the big cycling expo thing. Yes. I was amazed at how many adaptive bikes were actually being shown there. There are these. so great. I'm so happy they're doing that. E- hand cycle mountain bikes. So electric assist hand cycling for mountain biking. And I was just so like, fun. I've just started crap. It and it's like, it's such a thrill to be able to get into the woods. Cause that's one yeah. of the things like you just in a wheelchair, you, there are so many outdoor spaces that are really hard to access. Yeah. So things like off-road hand cycles are amazing for that. It was so cool seeing that. And honestly, seeing some of the, like, there were literally adaptive athletes who were like doing the van life thing where it was, there was like this one couple where they're both like wheelchair athletes. They both have adaptive bikes in their like fully kitted out sprinter and just like watching them get out and then just like head out on the trails. I was like, holy crap. Like technology has like done so many really cool things. I need to meet them. Two people. I mean, it's hard. We take up a lot of space with wheelchairs and gear. Uh, I was like, holy moly, that's a lot of stuff they're fitting in that van. (laughs) We actually just hired somebody who uh, is wheelchair in a wheelchair and also lives out of a van in Utah. So it's amazing. Employee. Really excited about that. That is so cool. Oh, my gosh. And okay, now we need to I'm like, I keep skipping ahead here because we need to back up to how you ended up at the Kelly Brush Foundation as the executive director. But I know, you know, we talked about this before we hit record. Uh, your background is actually at Scholastic in like educated educational publishing. Um, and yeah. also even just hearing the like Scholastic, my I'm like smelling the erasers from like book fairs <laughs> in middle, like, in elementary right. school. Book like fair. just thinking about yeah. like the pencils and the, all the books out on the tables in the library. It was like the best day of the year for me. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So how did this happen? Give me the career path. Happened. Yeah. Well, let me just tell the listeners about the KB, about the Kelly Brush Foundation. Yeah. I don't know if everyone has that background, but the Kelly Brush Foundation is a nonprofit whose mission is to, uh, mot- to inspire and empower people with spinal cord injuries to lead active and engaged lives. And we do this by uh, using sports and recreation as a catalyst to getting people to thrive post-injury. So when I was first injured, you know, your, your life is turned upside down and you start thinking about what's most important and what you want to do with the rest of it. Um, And I, I worked in educational publishing my whole career And I really liked it. I loved it. I loved what we were doing. And I worked on some really cool programs um, for reading and math and K-12. 
But as a runner and a cyclist, I sometimes fantasized about how could I maybe combine my skills from business and educational technology uh, into something that combined sports. I never did that. But after my injury, I knew that what I wanted to do was something that combined my business background, my passion for sports, and my new existence as a disabled athlete into one. And about two and a half years after my injury, I got an email from an ex-boss who knew what I wanted to do. And it was the job rec for executive director at the Kelly Brush Foundation. And my jaw dropped. I was like, that is it. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get the job. Amazing. Okay. And for people who don't necessarily know what an executive director does exactly. So we've all heard the term, but. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like the CEO. You're, you're, um, in charge of running the operation, managing the team, ensuring that the mission, the, the programs that you're having are having the intended impact um, and uh, working closely with the board of directors to ensure that finances are in order and governance is there and um, that the, the ship sails. So it definitely is uh, going from corporate uh, to where I ran teams. So I had, um, I had that like running a business unit experience, but it's, uh, nonprofit is different, I will say. And, um, it's just, it's a small nonprofit. We're about 3 million a year. So, uh, with seven employees. So, uh, you just have your hands in everything. Mm-hmm which I think is actually pretty fun, especially when you're you're first kind of getting into this world to be able to kind of bounce from, from thing to thing and see how all the parts move. I think it actually sets you up to like grow the foundation and actually like bring on more employees when you actually know yeah. how the sausage is made, so to speak. You sort of know exactly what needs to get done. Yep. Yep. And we're growing fast. We've almost doubled in two years and wow. um, hiring more and more employees. So that's awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. 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 Now coming back to, you know, funding, education and connections, can you maybe just dig into like, why are those three things important? And like, what, what are you doing kind of in all three of those buckets? Sure. Um, so the Kelly Brush Foundation's biggest program and longest running program is giving out grants for adaptive sports equipment. So the Kelly Brush Foundation was founded 17 years ago by Kelly Brush and her family. Kelly was a NCAA alpine ski racer, and she uh, crashed in a race and had a spinal cord injury. And her race teammates got together and challenged themselves to ride 100 miles on the bike and raise money for her so that she could buy a monoski and a hand cycle and get back to living the life that she loved to live. Um, they ended up raising so much money that it was way more than she needed. And her family decided to start the foundation where they would do every year, they would do this ride and um, they would give out money for grants for adaptive sports equipment. Oh, that's um, amazing. And each year the ride got bigger and bigger. Last year it was a thousand person ride. 
Um, we raised over a million dollars. Uh, so it, it's just kept growing. Over time, we started to introduce new programs and what we, especially those of us with spinal cord injuries, know is it does take a long time to go from the point of your injury to when you're ready for your own off-road hand cycle. You know, it's like, you can't just go overnight. So we're starting to build out new programming that supports people from injury all the way and supports them all the way through to independence. And we see the first part of that being the educational component. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, insurance is kicking people out of rehab less than a month after their injuries. So a lot of people go home and they have no idea about what's possible. Right. So we are launching, we just launched in January, a new program called the Active Project. And it's an online community that introduces people to the world of adaptive sports. We have all sorts of educational material and videos about many of the the adaptive sports that are possible. And we're adding more and more sports all the time. Um, It also connects people to how they can try those sports. There are hundreds of adaptive sports programs across the country, and they're always looking for people to participate in their programs. And that's one of their challenges. And people often have no idea about what's available, the mm-hmm. people who need the services. Um, so we're, we're ma- this platform connects people to opportunities to try sports and it connects people to one another. So you can log in and set up a profile, tell people what kind of injury you have and uh, what sports you're interested in and then connect. And we have things like forums and uh, gear exchanges and other things that are incredibly valuable to people once they're involved in adaptive sports. I love that. And I think to kind of come back to a couple of things you just said there, first, it's funny you mentioned insurance uh, and how they're, they're kicking people out early because I literally wrote down as you were talking, why are these things not covered by insurance? Like to oh, me- okay. A hand cycle seems like a very obvious thing that should be because it's like many other countries it is, but not here. That's wild. And can you maybe just give us a little context in terms of like what these things cost? Because I think like most people would have no idea. Yeah, totally. I will. And one sec, I just have to touch on that insurance thing. Please do. I'm trying to get a new wheelchair. Every five years you're entitled to a new wheelchair. And I just hit my, well, I just hit my six year mark. And I the insurance, like you have to approve every little component of your wheelchair and make an argument, the therapists have to make an argument for why you need each thing. And insurance denied me one of the parts. And I asked them why the part, I live in a snowy place. And this part that I was after protects my legs from getting all covered in snow. And um, seems they like said, an important they said, thing. Oh no, insurance only covers things that can be used indoors for your wheelchair. We don't support people going outside and like I ever, just- <laughs> but that's the rule. That's literally the way insurance handles these things. So the thought of them, you know, if that's the context for a wheelchair, they are not handling covering like sports equipment. Yeah. Even though sports, like being active after paralysis is so critical 
not only to your physical health, but mental health and just being able to get back and do the things that, that, that make you feel whole. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the and physical, it's- like the physical risks of being in a wheelchair are you, you're sitting all day long, you know, you have to move and get your circulation going. And, um, mm-hmm. there's all these complications, higher risks of risk of diabetes and obesity and, um, mm-hmm. being active is just so important for the physical, the mental, and also just connecting with the world. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because I mean, these are the exact same arguments that we often are making about like getting girls in sport, you know, that independence, that, you know, the the physical health, the mental health, all of that. So it's it's just kind of incredible to me that this isn't just a thing that would just kind of naturally be even pushed by the healthcare system because exactly in the long term in the end. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's that's infuriating. Um, (laughs) and, uh, the other, the other point that I, you mentioned there, and I'm actually super curious about this. Uh, you mentioned, you know, it started with this idea of like a ride to raise money. And now you have this charity ride that's actually like doing really well. So charity rides actually do raise money because I know like I'm always like slightly incredulous about it. So this is actually really interesting. Yeah, we do a peer to peer fundraising model. So, the cost of registration, depending on when you register, it's around $85, but there's also a fundraising minimum that's, uh, it's, it's not that bad. It's like $150 um, to $200. So um, that, and yeah, and then we have people who, you know, we have people who have done it every single year and get really motivated by the mission and the work that we're doing. So we have teams, we had a team last year that raised over a hundred. We actually had two teams last year that raised over a hundred thousand dollars each. And oh wow. Um and then yeah, people get really into the fundraising outside of it too. So mm-hmm. yeah, last year we raised a million dollars for the first that, time. Ever, so that we is so impressive. Yeah. Now with uh with COVID and everything, did you end up doing a virtual like version of the we charity did. ride? Slash, like, do you still have the virtual version? We do. And last year, a quarter of our participants were virtual. I love that. So people can, yeah. you know, anywhere you are can do it. Now, yeah. have we're you done the twenty? 20- do these satellite rides. So we get them. You know, we encourage people to um, have finally have a team leader who then organizes a group ride and gets their friends to participate and plans a little party afterwards or whatever, just to make it a fun day. Uh, And we had people do that all over the country. So I love that. Well, while we're on it, is there a 2023 date or what's what's happening with that? (laughs) um, We're actually doing two in-person rides this year. We have a Bay area version that's happening starting in Mill Valley and that is August 19th. And then our big ride in Middlebury, Vermont is uh, September 9th. And then we open up the virtual to uh, anytime from May 1st until end of September. So nice. people can, can do that. I love that. Yeah. Um, and um, coming back to the the active project, you know, the the one note about it is it's getting people involved in sports and helping adaptive sport programs. So 
So there actually are a lot of adaptive sport programs just like underrepresented in like how often we hear about them is what I'm getting from that. Yeah, all over the country. Like we have over 300 of these organizations on our, we call it on the map, on our, on the active project um, that we can link people to. And they do, you know, a range of sports. Some will be more targeted on one or two sports, but most of them offer a whole range of sports depending on the season and where they're located. And um, yeah, it's amazing all that's out there. And this, so what we're trying to do is fill that knowledge gap with mm-hmm. the active project where there's organizations who are always looking for new participants and can't find them. And then you have people with spinal cord injuries or other disabilities who don't know about what's out there. Mm -hmm. So one of our goals is how can we reach people when they're still in rehab or in the early days of their injury? Because oftentimes they get booted from rehab after a month or less, and they go home and they're still working on learning the tasks of daily living. Like how do you fill your pants? And like, how do I get around? So sports isn't always the first thing that comes to mind, but we, we worry that people slip into a black hole and, you know, people often feel really isolated and depression's common. It's a really hard adjustment. Um, And people, you know, there, there are 300,000 people in the U S with spinal cord injuries, which may sound like a lot, but people are few and far between. It's not like, you go outside and you just see somebody with a spinal cord injury. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we've seen is that there is nothing more powerful than bringing people together who have shared life experiences and giving them a forum for sharing information, sharing war stories, life hacks, and just, you know, all the basic things. I remember the first time. I connected with another group of like-minded women who'd been through spine, who had spinal cord injuries was about a year after mine. And I'd been living alone, uh, um, in LA and, um, I got invited to this women's paratriathlon camp and I went and I was the the youngest being like the freshest with spinal cord injury. Um, and I, it was life-changing for me because I got to see all these women who'd been injured three, five, 15 years, and they were so comfortable in their wheelchairs and sipping around and could get in and out of their equipment. And they had families, they had you know, some had had kids, they had jobs, you know, they were, they were living their lives the way they wanted to live their lives. And I was still in a very fresh state of like adjusting to life after a spinal cord injury. And still like I had a, I did a few odd consulting things here and there, but really not ready for going back to work yet. That mm-hmm. takes a while. And meeting them and having that experience was just, I went home so motivated and had this vision of like what was possible. Um, And so at the Kelly Brush Foundation, that's the kind of thing we want to create. And we're doing it first through 
um, the active project where people can connect digitally with one another or find places to recreate together, connect to go to, you know, plan a hand cycle ride together or find a place to try a new sport. Um, but we also have launched camps. So we host camps across the country where we bring eight to 10 individuals together to try a new sport. Actually, the first one we ever did was an adaptive mountain biking camp up in uh, Northern Vermont in the fall. It was incredible. And um, just, you know, people love it because it's an amazing way to try a new sport or build skills. But really the, the most important thing is that time together. Mm-hmm. We have like fireside chats and people hanging out. We give so much time for people to just connect and bond. And it's amazing the conversations that happen and um, just how much gets shared. And especially for some of the more newly injured, it's it's just so motivating to see other people who are further along and what that looks like. And I always say uh, nothing motivates like seeing your peers do something you didn't think you could do. Like for me, that's like, okay, if that person can do it, I can do it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. You want to take control of your health of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Now, I guess here's my question is, it's not easy for you, but you kind of clearly saw a pathway because you were a marathon runner. You were a like very good marathon runner uh, before this happened. So going back to sport is is just that, going back to sport. But do you find that there are a fair amount of like people that you know you might see through the Actor Project and through the, um, the foundation that are non-athletes before injury that kind of like discover sport like afterwards. Absolutely. And one of the things that makes the KBF unique is we are trying to support all people who've had spinal cord injuries. So through our grants program, we get applicated, we just got 165 applications for adaptive sports equipment in this last grant cycle we, we held. And you see so many different requests 
a lot of people just want to be able to go hunting and fishing with their brother again or their friends because mm-hmm. that's what they used to do. Um, but in a wheelchair, you can't really access off-road terrain. Um, you see moms who just want to be able to go for a bike ride with their kid. Um, and you see people who were not athletic at all. And then somehow somebody pushed them to try something. And 10 years after their injury, they finally were introduced to this sport or this activity. And now they like the, the comments you get of like, I finally feel like myself again, or I disability fades away. You know, when you're doing these things that you love and many people are introduced to things they never had tried before. Mm -hmm. So we really do see a range of like never been athletic to like somebody's gunning for Paralympics. Ah, that's so cool. Um, and okay, we've we've mentioned adaptive equipment. We've mentioned the hand cycle. Oh, I never have a couple of costs either. Yeah, the costs, and even just like a couple examples of like other adaptive equipment that's like out there for other sports. Because I yeah, think sure. people have yeah. no idea the range that someone can do. Yeah, so the range there's like fifteen hundred dollars for a sled hockey, um, a hockey. Sorry, I said that backwards. A hockey sled. Uh, up to like $25,000 for one of those off-road e-hand cycles. Um, and those are becoming so popular. We've seen more and more requests for those. And it's, it's hard because that's a lot, you know, that's a big chunk of the funding. And yeah. so we, we struggle with, you know, how much we can give and wanting to make the grants as meaningful as possible so that people can actually get that equipment. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely a range of prices, uh, a mono ski. So some of the different equipment mono skis are around 75, seven to $8,000. Um, we see kayaks that have been modified. Um, there's wakeboarding is popular. There's a lot of really popular water sports. So wakeboarding is popular. Um, we see a lot of people doing adaptive surfing, Um, and then there's archery is really popular. Um, there's a lot of equestrian adaptive equestrian sports. Um, I'm trying to think of things that you wouldn't just think about. And then there's just off-road, uh, equipment so that you can go hiking and get into the woods. Um, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of the, the people who are looking to go, uh, fishing or hunting. They just want, uh, piece of equipment that can take them into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, now hand cycles, I'm guessing like there's a pretty wide range of prices. So what's like an inexpensive hand cycle, like up to the email, yeah, like so 25 grand. You could start at like 2,500 for a basic recreational hand cycle. But even that is like so out of the realm of possibility for a lot of people, especially if you're already saddled it's like having to figure out how to you know retrofit your entire life to to support this yeah and the first year of injury um the average cost for somebody with a spinal cord injury is around a million dollars because you have to retrofit your house that's not covered by insurance you have all sorts of medical equipment that you have to purchase so you can like have a shower chair or you know there's just all this stuff that uh, you have to, you have to deal with, and then 
going forward, you, many people can't go back to the same kind of jobs. Right. So um, we get, I think it's about 40% of our applicants are living on under $30,000 a year. That and is... so you factor in even just a $2,500 piece mm-hmm. of equipment, there's no way, you mm-hmm. know, especially if there's family, if people have family or, um, yeah. so it's crazy. And, and that's, you know, we see even more people just living on social security and then that's like 20,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wild. I literally just finished wrapping up a bi- uh, an article about e-bike incentives in the U.S. And it seems like it's actually easier to get an incentive for an e-bike or like get a tax rebate for an e-bike than it would be right. for an adaptive hand cycle that's going to give you like physical emotional <laughs> independence versus an e-bike, which is just going to help you get like a little faster going from going that's on your so three mile commute. That is so true. That's wild. Yeah. It's yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people just wouldn't even consider that. Like, you know, until we had this conversation, it just didn't even occur to me that a lot of this wouldn't be covered or like, wouldn't just be like, of course you get an adaptive hand cycle. Here's your suite of tools that like, right. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. So all of this for you, like, this is just your all day, every day. And I kind of wanted to ask about like working in this job, because I mean, you know, most people have sort of that separation of like, they have their work life, they have their like hobby, and then they have their like life life. And for you, this is really like all three things are just all in one all day, every day, which sounds amazing. and sounds like the best thing ever, but we both know that gets really difficult at times. (laughs) How do you, uh, how do you handle this? Um, let's see, I would say, you know, there are so many pros to having, it all combined. There are so many times when I'm like, is this even work? Um, but then it is a lot of work and running a nonprofit. Like one of the challenges with nonprofits is you never have enough bandwidth. You're always trying, you're so passionate about what you're trying to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and everyone just works so hard and tirelessly. So I would say the biggest downside is that I don't um, I don't have as much time to do the, do the hand cycling and the sports and the, you know, I just, I feel like I'm always, I, when I took this job, I decided, well, it's weird. You know, when you have a spinal cord injury, one of the things that gets sort of confusing is your identity. And before my injury, I, saw myself as a runner and a cyclist and all my friends, my free time, my community circled around um, being active and doing those, you know, running and biking with friends. And um, so when that changed, um, it's, you know, it's definitely been, so one of the things I decided is, okay, I'm just going to throw myself into this job and make that what I'm focused on and what I'm giving all, not all, but so much of my time to. And so I have been doing that and I'm starting to feel the effects of not having as much time for that other piece that of my life. That's so important to me, which is just spending time on the bike Mm -hmm. and sports and being active. Mm -hmm. 
Now, we did bring up that you live in Vermont, which is not the most bike-friendly place yeah. to be in the winter or for like six months of the year, same here in Ontario. Um, so, and uh, we were introduced by our mutual friend, Andrew Bernstein, yes. uh, who works at Zwift. So yeah. do you use Zwift? And were you excited when they added the hand cycle, um, like avatars? Totally. I was, yeah, I was pushing for that for a while. Um, I'd been talking to some other friends who work at Zwift saying, it's got to happen. So I was really happy to see that come out. Yeah, no, I thought that was that was such a cool thing, because I do think, you know, for for bringing more awareness to any of these issues to, you know, to KBF, any of this stuff, I think you need to have that representation, like, and yeah. on a platform like that, where, you know, around the world, people can actually see hand cyclists popping on there. Like, that's awesome. It's really awesome. And I know from so many of my hand cycling friends who a lot of us ride indoors, even, you know, even just because of convenience reasons um, or the dangerous roads that we live by. Or so I know from so many of my hand cycling friends that everyone's really psyched and um, we've organized some group rides with hand cycle, like all our hand cycle buddies awesome. and group rides and stuff. So it's such an amazing platform and yeah, we're really stoked to see that they added that. That's really cool. Um, and okay. So, so many of the events that you're talking about, you know, are put on specifically for, you know, the adaptive hand cycle community say like, you know, you went to the, the triathlon camp that kind of got you started in this space. Now, have you seen any clubs or, uh, you know, just more like your average cycling club that is kind of like opening up to adaptive athletes or how can a club that has just, you know, cyclists yeah. be um, more friendly to this? Yeah, I've seen there. Well, there's another similar organization to the Kelly Brush Foundation on the on, in San Diego called Challenged Athletes Foundation. I know they have. um a group ride that they do every week. That's a mix of hand cyclists and able-bodied cyclists. Um, that's something I'd love to replicate. It's um, the challenge is, so as soon as a hand cyclist starts going up a hill, you, you quickly have a hard time keeping up with able-bodied people. So you just need to have a group of people that are down with a varied pace. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's something I'd, I'd love to just be able to ride with other people more often, especially in a hand cycle, you're so low to the ground and you right. can't really turn your head. So you really do rely on a mirror to see what's behind you, but it's, um, it's a little, it's a little, it took me a while to get comfortable riding alone on the road. Um, yeah. and I, it, it's always more fun with other people. So mm -hmm. something I'd love to do more of, and I'm looking to build. Mm -hmm. Now, are you seeing more, you know, we're talking about the e-mountain bike here. Um, have you seen more trails being developed for adaptive athletes? Cause that's a conversation we're having up here, even with our, our local mountain bike club, there is kind of like a conversation of, you know, can we make loops that are like yeah, for adaptive totally. athletes? Totally. And Vermont's been doing an amazing job and we are working with the um, Vermont M Mountain Bike Association to push or encourage uh, more trails to become accessible. Uh, the place up at Burke Mountain, which is where we went, uh, where we do our adaptive mountain bike camp, 
Uh, they've got a whole, they've got a lot of trails and we worked really closely with them to advise them on how to make them accessible. And we have our program manager, Greg, Greg Durso, works really closely with um, the Vermont, Mount, Vermont Mountain Bike Association and uh, a lot of the chapters to help build accessible trails. So we're, the KBF is really working hard to promote how can we make the places people recreate accessible and inclusive? Mm-hmm. Uh, or because of our connection to mountain biking, uh, we're starting there, but we want to take that across all sports and places people recreate. I love that. I think that's that's just such an important thing. And there's so many elements of that that like come into play. I mean, from yeah. you know, the like literal like. It's great to have the trail. You also then need to make sure like the access to the trailhead is I know. Know, like, geared it's for that. Like, going skiing. <laughs> there's some mountains where they, you know, they have great trails, but just getting from the car to the trip to like the bottom of the lift is so challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're totally right. It's not just the trail. Um, yeah, yeah, but so worth thinking about. Like, yeah. Yeah. One of the cool things with the active project is um, we are eventually one of our future feature ideas is to get all the places with accessible uh, places to recreate onto our map. So right now we have the programs that provide service adaptive sports programs, but we really want to have like all the adaptive mountain bike trails and all the beaches that have beach wheelchairs that you can use and all the, you know, all the trails that you can hike on that are accessible. Uh, So we really want to get all those places on the map and get our community members to share information like, oh, this trail, it's really hard, you know, just giving feedback and um, an opportunity to share information about, you know, different locations and places to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. Um, and then the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on with you, and this is sort of a very like weird question and I recognize that, but, you know, I, I'm talking to you as I do this podcast and as I, you know, talk to more people in the fitness space, like it's not that coaches don't want to work with adaptive athletes. It's, I think they don't really know how, or like how to, you know, reach that audience or even like start that conversation or any of that. Um, and you know, the same is true of like, whether you're, you know, a yoga teacher or, you know, you're doing pretty much anything in the fitness arena, I think, you know, we sort of, you, what I don't like is that it's sort of like adaptive athletes are over here. Athletes are over here, like able-bodied athletes are over here. Like it's a very like black and white thing. And I think there, there's so much space for there to be this, this meshing of the two. So, you know, for coaches who are hearing this and they're thinking like, oh my gosh, like I would love to work with adaptive athletes. Like there's so much that can be done there. Yeah. Any advice? (laughs) Well, I can tell you a little bit from experience. So one of the things that came out of that, that triathlon camp was I got invited to be on a women's paracycling team And we had some really incredible coaches. And one of them um, was, he worked with able-bodied athletes as well as uh, disabled athletes. Um, And I'm sure, I mean, he was, he's a really, really well-known good coach. And there are certain differences, like after you're paralyzed, your heart rate 
isn't the same. Um, and you can't like, it's really hard to get it as high as you used to. And you metabolize things differently. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of calories you burn is very different. And, um, so I think just having some knowledge about some of those differences is, would be really important. And I would say to, I'm sure there's a body of knowledge out there that people could tap into or, you know, connecting with other coaches who have experience working with both. Um, but going to things like yoga, I know there's a lot of, um, adaptive like chair yoga, Mm -hmm. um, where you're doing a lot of the same, it's the same breathing techniques, the same like stretching and movement, but you're just in a chair. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of, you know, there's definitely been a lot of progress in that camp. So I'd say just don't be afraid and reach out to people who've done it before or who are doing it and find out from them what they need to know, but don't Mm -hmm. be afraid. It's a really cool thing. And, um, having that inclusive aspect is, um, it's just really awesome. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting up here in Ontario, there's very much like an emphasis, like just province-wide on like Paralympic, like prep camp type things where like anyone is welcome and that kind of stuff. So there actually are like a lot of different in Canada where there's a lot more like able-bodied people playing basketball, like wheelchair basketball, Mm -hmm. or or it's just this sort of crossover where it's a very different, what I've learned is that it's just much more, there's more of a crossover. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just very open. Like my, my husband's a cycling coach and he's actually like, you know, jumped into some of like the, the, the like Ontario, like primary, like Paralympic cycling coach has actually had him like come to camps cause they've had them up here. So he knows the, you know, what roads have the widest shoulders and are like going to be the safest yeah. and that kind of like, and it's just super cool to see that, you know, there's actually like these really obvious pathways for athletes up here and i don't think it's the same down in the states where like oh yes like new jersey has a program that you can just like get into and here's your bike and uh on your way so hopefully we'll see more of that but uh definitely i mean even just the fact that you know my husband then got to like work with an adaptive cycling coach was Mm -hmm. super helpful because he got to see like oh like this is you know some of the differences and stuff and i think a lot of the adaptive coaches are more than happy to share their knowledge, share their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I'd say that's probably the best avenue, but I fully encourage it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those just like, remember like adaptive athletes are athletes, like athlete right. is still in there. So let's, you know, like focus on that too. And, you know, that's yeah. one of the things we're trying to do at the KBF is to normalize adaptive sports. So we don't want, you know, so often people are like, oh, you can do that. But we just want people to see it as like any other sport. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's something we're, we're thinking about and working towards mm-hmm. longer term goal. I love that. And uh, before we wrap up here, how about you? Any, uh, any goals now that uh, Boston is uh, done and dusted? What's, oh, what's next? What's on the bucket list? I'm just so excited to be able to ride outside again. Uh, it's, it's been a long, a long winter in the basement on that trainer. Yeah. Swift is great, but still there's nothing like the outdoors. 
Um, so I have a couple more marathons. Um, I'm doing New York. So I really, that's my, because that's in November and I will have been riding outside all summer. I'm hoping that I will go into that one feeling fit. Um, so that's my, my big like thing that I'm working towards. And then I'm doing the half of the Vermont marathon. So half nice. marathon. Um, that's coming up, but that's just, it's just always fun to ride with other hand cyclists. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's part of why I love these events so much is it's rare that you get to. So mm-hmm. love it. Love it. All right. How can listeners get involved with the Kelly Brush foundation with the actor project, all that stuff? Yeah. Well, there's so many ways. Um, definitely check out our website. It's kbf.org. Um, to learn more about what we do. But um, because I know you have a lot of cyclists out there, we encourage you to check out our ride, whether it's virtual or if we can encourage you to come to either the Bay Area or Berlin, uh, Middlese- Middlebury, Vermont. We would love love to see you in person even more. Um, so there are those. And then check out the Active Project um, to get a look at what we've built it's ap.kbf.org. Um, and you can even sign up as an able-bodied person, as somebody who would be interested in, say, going for a ride with somebody who's in a hand cycle. Um, we have we have uh, a way for, there's like a sign-up process where you can set up your own profile and put yourself on the map as somebody who's up for, joining a ride or going for a ski or doing whatever you like to do. I love that. And I think that's, that's such an important thing. You know, even I was out in California this weekend and by myself and I was like, Oh, you know, want to go on a, you know, want to go on a trail run and like investigate trails. And, you know, as a woman, I ended up looping the same trail, like a bunch of times because I was very nervous going into the woods by myself. And I mean, the, the same is going to be true of, you know, someone on, on a hand cycle as well. Oh, so, even more. Yeah. More so, yeah. Like, like I mean, you're, you're low to the ground. Like, it's terrifying. Oh, now what do I do? Crawl home? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Changing a tire? Like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's that's such a valuable thing that people can definitely do. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> so hopefully we'll, we'll see some signups and would love to see any and all of you at a ride. Love it. Awesome. Edie, thank you so much for hanging out. It was great to, to oh, get to chat you, with you. Molly. It was so nice to, to meet you. Um, this was fun. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Edie Perkins. I know I did. And definitely before you go, make sure you are checking out the active project over at kellybrushfoundation.org. Consider getting involved. And, you know, I think this episode is really just a good reminder to consider all ranges of athletes as you are thinking about whatever your business is. I think this just opens so many really interesting new doors. And hopefully for anyone who is thinking about entering that nonprofit world, we gave you some ideas and intel on the fundraising game and sort of all of the things surrounding that. So again, definitely check out kellybrushfoundation.org. I encourage you to check out their virtual ride or your their in real life ride if you happen to be around one of those locations. And hopefully you got as much out of that episode 
episode as I did. And as always, if you're enjoying this episode, make sure you are following, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all of that fun stuff. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're following along. I am over on Instagram at Molly J. Herford and we are business.of.fitness on Instagram and I will see you out there.